I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. Welcome to the Beyond COVID podcast from RAIN Network. In this podcast series, David Lawrence, co-founder of RAIN, speaks with Dr. Fred Southwick, an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida's College of Medicine, and Dr. Bill Lang, an expert in public health responses to biological incidents about the current state of the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's listen in on this week's conversation. Fred, Bill, uh, once again, thanks for spending some time. It's, it's been uh, probably, probably about six or seven weeks but an update is, uh, I believe, appropriate, uh, both in terms of the infection rate, uh, questions that are coming in from our network and audience about uh, the need for a booster, the RSV vaccine, and what we might expect. And coincidentally, obviously, when we scheduled this, we didn't realize it would be on the same day that the Nobel Committee would be announcing its prize in physiology and medicine. Uh, so for 2023, it was given to uh, two laureates uh, for their development of effective mRNA vaccines, and in particular against COVID-19. So somewhat of a um, confluence of reasons to start this podcast. In any event, uh, Bill, maybe I can start with you for, as usual, just a bit of a global update, what's happening, and then over to you, Fred. Well, yeah, as we probably the last time we talked, he said it was a while ago, um, we are unable anymore to give really good hard data on where this outbreak is. And that's for a couple reasons. One, most jurisdictions are no longer keeping track. Um, but second, other than hospitalizations um, and maybe emergency department visits, it's really difficult to know what the spread of COVID is because at this point, most people who get COVID have a bad cold and they don't bother, most people don't even bother testing. And if they, even if they do bother testing, they don't bother reporting it to anyone. But what we saw over the uh, pretty much the early to mid part of September, so if you want to call it the, the last third of the, of the, of summer, um, we saw an increase in COVID. And we, the reason I can say that is subjectively talking to colleagues, reading news reports, there were lots more people who were uh, who were getting sick with either with COVID if they bothered to test or with very much COVID-like symptoms. In fact, that paralleled what we were seeing in hospitalizations is through the middle of September, hospitalizations were trending up, not in a huge manner. I mean, it's not double digit percentage trends, but it was trending up and emergency department visits were trending up fairly significantly for COVID. And um, I think most of us had a feeling that there was a lot of COVID going around. This corresponded to the rise in a new variant called EG.5. And EG5 is very, very antigenically distinct from the earlier, uh, many of the earlier uh, derivatives. Now, 
since the middle, since the last week or so, the middle, it's called the middle of September, um, we've been seeing a downward trend in emergency department visits, a slight downward trend in hospitalizations, but remember hospitalizations are a trailing indicator, and a significant um, downward trend in tests that were positive. Now, I don't, I don't, believe, I don't trust that statistic because who knows what it really means. Um, we are seeing an increase in COVID deaths, about 8% in the last week. But again, that's a far trailing indicator. So if we were seeing significant increases due to this EG.5 um, in, the, in early September, those would be manifesting as increased number of deaths. Here we are in the you know, first week of October. So what has happened since the middle of September is that early to mid-September is that a new strain, X XBB, which you may have remembered that from before, XBB.1 specifically, um, XBB.1.5, is starting to overtake and displace this EG.5. As that happens, XBB is not very virulent. It displaces this newer EG but it doesn't, it is not more serious. So I think we're probably gonna, gonna see at least, if you wanna call it a leveling or probably even a downtrend um, in cases here over the early, at least early part of fall, um, we'll see where we go as we get into more cold and flu season. And let me, before turning this over to Fred, uh, point out the distinction that both of you have always made. This is about hospitalizations um, and obviously fatalities from hospitalizations, not whether necessarily uh, people get sick. But at least anecdotally in the greater New York, Boston, LA, San Francisco, Miami, Chicago region, uh, where we have a number of our, and also Dallas as well. Um, anecdotally, we continue to hear reports of people who are testing positive, and as your, your point, Bill, they're not going in the hospital, but they are contracting this and they are uh, staying home and, you know, sometimes for as long as two weeks before uh, they test negative. So um, word is out there that it's still going around, but uh, take your point about the hospitalizations. Fred, your, your, your thoughts, your thoughts about the variant and what's going around. Yeah, I, I, Bill's summary was excellent, and, and uh, I completely agree with his uh, assessment. And the EG variant uh, is of interest because it uh, had as many variations, uh, somewhere in the order of 40 to 50 amino acid variations, which was a similar uh, jump in mutations to that of uh, Omicron versus the Delta variant. So what that means is uh, that particular strain would be antigenically different and more likely to escape the vaccine. The good news with all these variants is that they all seem to be far milder than the original strain, than the alpha strain, and the delta strain, so that they do not cause a severe lung disease. They seem to stay in the upper airway predominantly. Now, one problem with the Omicron uh, which we've seen, and actually we have a paper that's uh, tentatively accepted, where we actually compared Omicron patients to Delta-infected uh, patients on the same ward, taken care of by the same physicians. That allowed us to really accurately compare the two uh, uh, variants. 
And what we found is, indeed, the uh, Omicron was clinically caused clinically mild disease, fewer cases of pneumonia, uh, fewer cases that required placement in the in medical intensive care unit. However, when we looked at the mortality, the mortality of the Omicron variant was comparable to the Delta variant as far as an in-hospital mortality. And when we looked at that more carefully, what is happening is these uh, Omicron variants are more infectious and more contagious, and they infected more elderly and debilitated individuals. And in those particular group, that particular group, they uh, are susceptible to uh, a fatal outcome. So what we need to do is if you're uh, healthy, if you don't have an immunocompromised, if you're under the age of 70, uh, you don't have to really worry that much about the, uh, the various Omicron variants. But if you're over 70 or you have, you're have taking medicines that compromise your immune system, you should be very cautious and try to avoid uh, the same public health measures that we've recommended over and over again are important for that class. Well, that's a natural lead into um, one of the important questions that's been raised with us is how to think about the booster now that it is reportedly available. I say reportedly uh, because there have um, been numerous situations in major cities where people book appointments and then they show up and the vaccine is not available. But um, how best to think about the booster if it is uh, available to you and the timing of taking the booster. So David, with the, for young healthy people, I, let me just be clear first off, you know, kind of the disclaimer I've done before is that the recommendation from CDC and from the, F, well, from CDC um, is that everybody should get a booster. You know, unless you have a reason you should not get a booster, everybody should get a booster. Um, that being said, I am not actively encouraging younger, healthier people to get boosters. Um, there, there, are, there is a very small risk, um, and there's some risk that we don't know because there's been you know, questions about how well the adverse events are being reported and characterized. But there is some small degree of risk, and the risk associated with a young, healthy person having a problem, we know, is very, very small. So for that reason, I'm not actively pushing the, that group to get it. However, and I think this is one that Fred and I will agree on, is for older people or those with significant health issues, by all means, they should get the vaccine, especially as we're going into uh, fall where we expect, we don't know, but we expect we will see um, an increased rate of transmission. Fred, what do you think on that? Uh, yeah, Bill, I, I think uh, that's a very a reasonable compromise. The one issue that comes up, and, and we really don't have the data on this, if you vaccinate everyone uh, directed against the new variants, then the likelihood of spread from young to elderly and immunocompromised may be reduced because there is evidence that at least early on, uh, if you're vaccinated, you become exposed you do not carry the high levels of virus and you would be less infectious. But that's somewhat theoretical and the ability of the vaccine to actually control the spread of infection is still uh, requires some additional data. 
So, uh, you know, I, I think that your, your approach is very reasonable. The other point I would make is uh, that the mRNA vaccines, uh, I keep reviewing the data, are the safest set of vaccines we have ever known. And they are the most effective we've ever known. And I am so delighted that the developers of this mRNA vaccine received the Nobel Prize because this has been a major step and who knows how many uh, thousands and millions of lives have been saved thanks to this mRNA vaccine. I think that's very reasonable. I think I'd go go one step further on the um, uh, compromise, so to speak, and that is that if I had a young, healthy patient who was a caregiver for somebody who is at risk, then I would lean towards vaccinating that person also for exactly the reason that you said. By vaccinating the caregiver, um, you can help to protect the at-risk person. The 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 other part that I would say that I've that I've noted a lot uh, recently is that doctors and patients are more um, are less likely to uh, prescribe or request Paxlovid, and I still Paxlovid is works great and it does not appear to show any um, decrement in efficacy for various strains. No development of resistance is being demonstrated. Um, I think that Paxlovid is great. And for somebody who may not be, you know, in this, even quite as, you know, in the older or sick, sicker category that I would be recommending vaccination. If I have somebody who's 50-ish you know, and they get COVID, I'm encouraging them to, to use Paxlovid. There is a risk of recur of rebound or, or of, um, uh, what's the right word we're using? Um, uh, but of, of recurrence, rapid recurrence. But it's a sm relatively small, on the order of 10% that that happens. And even if it does happen, you can, depending on what, it's not fully recommended, but many providers do uh, run another course of Paxlovid, or generally it's not as severe disease um, with if you do have a, a rebound after taking Paxlovid. So don't forget about Paxlovid. It's a good drug and it works. Yeah, I, I completely with Bill, I agree with Bill on that. Paxlovid is really a, a terrific drug, which has about an 85% efficacy as far as preventing hospitalization. And uh, that is held up. And uh, so far I have heard of no serious toxicities and there are some drug-drug interactions, but I think when in doubt, you should strongly consider uh, giving your patients uh, Paxlovid or getting Paxlovid if you get COVID-19. I want to remind people, as we have done repeatedly, um, Bill and Fred are not uh, dispensing medical advice across state lines, uh, but merely stating sort of the current um, we'll call it baseline of what data is saying, what the CDC is saying, what other authorities are saying, and everyone should consult with their physician. But uh, let me bring up, uh, uh, and I just want to clarify this. If people are 60 or older, what, and, and I saw the CDC, Bill, to your point, uh, the CDC is recommending that everybody uh, get the booster, but put that aside. But if you're 60 or older, uh, and you're still in good health. Where do you guys come out in terms of uh, um, the body of 
medical and scientific advice? Well, I, I would still strongly uh, recommend the vaccine. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the toxicities have been exaggerated. And uh, there's, unfortunately for the mRNA vaccines, there's some fear associated with this. But if you really look carefully and objectively at the data, these vaccines are very protective. And the evidence does look good that the, the designed booster will protect against all of the recent variants to, to a significant degree. So I would, I would come out in favor of the vaccine for that okay. group. And, I, and I'm just feeding off the questions here, uh, Fred and Bill. Uh, any difference between Pfizer and Moderna? Uh, the difference is tiny. I don't know in the booster if the previous the Moderna was a little higher dose than than the uh, uh, Pfizer, uh, and therefore a little bit more prolonged immunity. But it was relatively small difference, and there was some suggestion maybe that higher dose might have caused a few more side effects. But I think it was very small. Uh, Bill, your thoughts on on the difference between the two preparations? No, I don't think that the yes, there's you need a slightly different dosage, but there's no at this point there's no significant difference between the two, and you don't need to. I, I don't think there's any need to to make sure that you get a different or get the same uh, vaccine that you got the time before. It's just whatever they have available is just fine. Bill, you anticipated the next question, so thank you for doing that. Uh, moving uh, along, obviously, if people have pre-existing health conditions, um, it's a different analysis in terms of um, the importance of taking the vaccine booster. Uh, I'm hearing both of you say that. Yes, clearly, at the older groups, you should get the booster. Younger. I, I, I think Fred and I may disagree on this a little bit. Younger, I would be less inclined, um, but clearly at the older age groups, yes. Okay, and I, I just want to point out one thing that I have not um, seen, and I, I wanted to probe your thinking because this has come up. Uh, people, in terms of you know their return to work environment, um, some people have to travel in mass transit systems. Some people go into offices that are crowded, elevators that are crowded. Some people are working in more rural areas and working from home. Uh, some people from a personal lifestyle, uh, they're, they're attending or will be attending indoor sporting events that are crowded and congested and things like that. Does that alter your thinking in terms of the advisability, uh, I'll use that term, the advisability of taking the booster vaccine? For me, it doesn't change things much at this point, um, but but we need to continue to watch the watch the data and see if we start to see um, increases. Remember, in the in, especially in the U.S. Southern U.S., it's actually summertime that pushes people indoors more. Right. Um, so it's and we did not see huge increases with with that. So I I think we we just need more data. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that that they I, I think everyone is more uh, is loosened up in their concerns about public spaces. And I think that's reasonable there. The cases are mild when you get it. Uh, the instance is down compared to what it was. So uh, I, I think we can feel more free. Obviously, 
you remember the whole Swiss cheese model, if, the, if, the, if, the, if the, you block up more holes, you're less likely to get in trouble. So the vaccine is one of those uh, key uh, control points. And so uh, you're, you're uh, really, this is a good contingency. And if you want to go out more frequently, it would make sense that you want, would, would want to be vaccinated and get the latest booster. Again, the application of common sense, so thanks. Um, if I can move to the RSV vaccine, which is gaining a lot of attention, some prolific advertising campaigns, um, would like to get both of your thoughts on the advisability of that vaccine and any concerns about side effects. Well, let me hit the RSV vaccine for pregnant women first. Um, is made now, I'm a family doc, and I've taken care of a lot of kids and a lot of kids with RSV. In fact, there are tens of thousands of children who are hospitalized with RSV every year. And um, I just, if we have something that can help prevent that, then that's great. And in fact, there is the new RSV, one of the new RSV vaccines has been approved for um, for healthy women between between 32 and 36 weeks of pregnancy not so much to protect the protect the the pregnant woman but protect the baby because they get then get get they're born with antibodies to RSV um, you know because in fact if you get a bad virus in the first three months of life that has to be treated as a potentially fatal disease Admit, admitting the baby huge workup spinal tap all of that. So if we can reduce the incidence of one of the most common viral diseases by immunizing moms prior to, to uh, birth, I think that's a, a wonderful, a wonderful thing to do. Um, RSV vaccine is approved for those age 60 and older. Um, it's it is really having it's. It's having two effects. One is is just as we've talked about with COVID, the more people get vaccinated, the less. Um, RSV there is in the community, and that also helps these these kids. But what uh, people don't realize, we think about the kids get hospitalized, but you know somewhere around 120,000 uh, people age 65 uh, or older get hospitalized with RSV every year, and of that, there's somewhere on the order of six to 10,000 fatalities. So there are a lot of fatalities from the RSV vaccine. The RSV vaccine is a fairly reactogenic vaccine, and what that means is, is it causes quite a reaction from someone in, in the you know, sore arm, feel fluey for a day or two, um, and someone that, who gets the vaccine, but it, it it's, demonstrating that it works pretty well. So from the standpoint of protecting, you know, hoping to decrease these six to 10,000 fatalities a year, um, and from protecting the babies, where we have at least 300 fatalities a year for babies that get RSV, I think this is a, a very reasonable vaccine for elderly and for pregnant moms. I, I agree with Bill completely. Uh... <laughs> RSV can be very serious in the elderly, and I've certainly seen cases that are very severe, and we've had to try to give them ribavirin, which does not work very well. So there is no good antiviral therapy, and prevention, I think, is the name of the game. So I, I'm getting the RSV vaccine, and my wife did too as well. 
Fred, you touched upon one of uh, the fundamental lessons I learned um, early, early uh, days at uh, Goldman Sachs. Clients ask the wrong question. They, they ask, um, as do patients, uh, what should I do? As opposed to asking the question of the physician or the financial advisor, what are you doing? So, Fred, I, he I heard you say that you and your wife are taking the vaccine or have that, taken it. Yes, we are taking it, and, and I think it, it uh, will be a benefit, and I, I think the toxicities compared to the benefits, uh, the benefits far outweigh any toxicity. Okay. And, and I think I'm probably going to get it. I'm uh, slightly younger, um, but I've got a whole bunch of grandkids running around, including some really small ones. I, I was going to say, Bill, Bill, they, they want to keep you around for a while. <laughs> well, I uh, want to keep them from getting, I want to keep them around a well. while. So that's why, that's why I'm going to right. do it. To, to Fred's point earlier about the broader, uh, the benefits of broader vaccinations. All right. Um, I would be remiss if I missed the obvious question on the test, uh, which has to do with the flu vaccine. Your thoughts on taking it and then, again, some great questions from our network and our audience. What vaccines can you take together at once? Should you space them, et cetera, et cetera? So it's, it's very clear that you can take the COVID vaccine and the, the flu vaccine together. However, I, I, personally, I'm spacing it out a bit. I mean, if I, I'm in a situation where I've got a pharmacy, I drive by on my way home and I can pull over and get it. I'm just, I'm separating them out slightly. Um, so if I do have a reaction, I know what I'm getting a reaction to. Um, but there, the data is that you're okay to get them together. I, I'm not, I don't know on RSV what the recommendation is on that. Unfortunately, I apologize on that one. But I know that the, the COVID-19 and the flu vaccine, is it's okay to get together. Yeah, I, I, I agree. The, uh, the, the I've already gotten my influenza vaccine. And for those over uh, 65, there is a higher dose vaccine, which is more effective. And, and I, I received that. So, and, and you can get it with the COVID-19. I haven't seen data on whether you can combine it with RSV. No, I, either have I. Um, so I just don't know. And again, uh, Fred has revealed, uh, as of you, Bill, uh, not what people should do, but what you're doing. And um, I take that point very seriously that by spacing it out by a day or two days or whatever you three days, you'll uh, potentially at least know what you're having a reaction to, should there be a reaction. Uh, but what I at least have seen in, um, at some of the leading, on the, some of the leading websites of uh, leading medical institutions is that it is okay to take the flu and the um, COVID booster at the same time. But uh, to your point, I, I haven't really seen any guidance on RSV um, and CDC know, says you can you can get all three at the same time. Okay. They say I don't I wouldn't want to, but you can do it. Okay. Good to know. I didn't I didn't see that on the CDC side. So, all right. Well, I want to thank both of you. Uh, I'm going to give uh, Bill a um, a bit of a shameless plug because he'll be doing a podcast uh, with me uh, for the Nasdaq. Um, and how institutions need to think about, you know, medical and P 
pandemic risks. And Fred has a wonderful, wonderful new book coming out, so we'll be doing a podcast together to speak about that. But uh, Fred has, Fred, I'm not sure it's gonna be a Nobel Prize or a Pulitzer Prize uh, for you, but it sounds absolutely terrific um, how you have uh, studied the behavior and the history of uh, honeybees and their hives and applied some of the lessons to how we can improve our healthcare system. So I'll, gi I'll give the audience an advanced plug. Uh, the book is called Playing with Bees and we're, we're gonna have a podcast coming up uh, within the next few weeks uh, to discuss it. So congratulations to both you guys. And again, thanks so much for the time. Um, one more quick note is that co free COVID tests are once again available. Yes, Go to covid.gov yes. COVID yes. and it'll yeah. redirect you to a US Postal Service website and you can order free COVID tests again. Okay, right. Bill, Bill, thank you for that. But I'm going to tell you, I did that uh, a week and a half or so ago, or whenever, when it came out, my wife and I did it. We're still waiting doesn't surprise me okay anyway so okay uh, and we did that because of the number of kids and grandkids that enter our house we want to be uh, cautious anyway uh, Bill Fred as always your insights and perspectives are invaluable and I really appreciate your spending time with us David thank time. you very much thank you David okay take care take care bye this is the Rain Insights podcast, which is part of the Rain Insights series, comprised of both virtual and real-world events, offering unique practical perspectives from Rain's leading experts in risk management. To learn more, please visit us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. Thank you for listening.